Following the rebirth of Israel in 1948, two more developments took place in the 60s and 70s that needed to transpire in order for the prophecy of Ezekiel to manifest just as the Lord described. Join us now as we look back at the actions taken by Golda Meir, Anwar Sadat, and Hafez al-Assad as they lined up precisely with Ezekiel chapter 38 and so much more. I am Mark Russick and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Good morning, or perhaps good afternoon, or maybe even good evening, or maybe it's even the middle of the night. Uh, I don't know where it is or what time it is where you're listening, but it's afternoon here, so I just thought I would cover all the bases. This is Mark Russick, and you're listening to the Russick Outlook. As always, very grateful that you're, you're, you've taken the time to join us. Hopefully you will uh, enjoy this presentation of Ezekiel's prophecy of the world's next great war, which we're talking about the war of Gog of Magog. Um, as many of you know, we've been um, covering a bunch, a bunch of different areas as it pertains to the second coming of Jesus. So why are we talking about the world's next great war if we're talking about the second coming of Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked the question, uh, because this particular war that, that we're going to be investigating in the prophecy and what, what hopefully you'll see uh, is, is so very fascinating and why I wanted to look at it is how everything is lining up exactly as Scripture said it would. Uh, so the reason that I'm talking about it in relation to the second coming is this particular series of events and this war that will inevitably happen will happen right around the time, either very shortly before the tribulation begins or shortly thereafter. Um, and, and we're going to look at, you know, what, what are the reasoning behind uh, before and after. Uh, you know, we'll get into that in, in, in the second part of this. this. This will be a kind of a mini two-part series. But I, I, I just, as I said, I find it fascinating. We're going to be spending a lot of time on what's going on uh, in this section, in in, mo- in modern times, and by modern times, I mean the last 50 years or so. So we're going to be examining things that you can verify historically uh, within the last 50 years and see how that lines up prophetically, as the Bible indicated, uh, from, from the prophet Ezekiel. So written well before the, the, the time of Jesus. Um, so if you enjoy subjects like this, <clears throat> excuse me, please hit the like or subscribe button. Um, just again, it really helps us get the message out. We're on all the social media platforms. We're on all the podcast platforms. We have a YouTube channel. And again, I'm just trying to uh, reach or engage people to give them this information. And ultimately, it's what you want to do with it. Uh, so this is really intended, as always, in search of truth. You know, what is the truth? And for uh, many of the listeners, they know that uh, part of what I like to do is, is look at um, uh, records or indications or writings or evidence that would uh, uh, e- either substantiate or negate what the Bible has to say. Uh, so we don't rely strictly on what the Bible is saying. There's, there's eyewitness accounts, historical records, and, and so forth, and a whole bunch of other areas. But anyway, I digress. So I'd like to really get into this because... Uh, this may be closer than we think, and, and uh, I'm not in the uh, date-guessing game, and I never will be. Um, 
but it, it, the word of God says, when you see these things, look up your redemption draweth nigh. So I'm seeing some things that are, are, are happening just as, as the prophet wrote about. So I thought I would point that out. Uh, if you're watching this on video, you see a bunch of different cities. Uh, six of the cities are um, capitals or, or large cities that are going to be potentially moving against the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And, and the city of Jerusalem is what I'm showing on the right-hand side. Uh, so we're, we're, we're looking at here. Uh, we're looking at the Sudan. We're looking at Kazakhstan. We're looking at Tehran. Uh, this is Tripoli, Italy, uh, Italy, Tripoli, Libya. Sorry about that. Um, Istanbul and Moscow. Uh, these are some of the cities that could potentially be involved in this. So this is why I wanted to dig in. Um, so on that note, let's do it. Let's let, let's really investigate and unfold uh, what it is that we're talking about. So at, at first, what I'd like to do is kind of give you an abridged version, um, and, and, and I think it'll help move things along. So in Ezekiel, and we're going to get into the two chapters, we're going to cover uh, everything in these two chapters, but it it what what it's saying is there's going to be a group of countries predominantly coming from the north. Um, there will be some uh, other countries coming from the south or the southwest uh, that that you'll see, and you see this on the map if you're if you're uh, looking at this. Um, but they're led by uh, a ruler from the north. So uh, l let me l let me first look at the commander of the alliance, and I'm going to look at Ezekiel 38 one through two. It says, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. This is Ezekiel 38, 1, 2. And we're going to get into what all of those countries are and where they are uh, currently on the map today. So unlike the other names in this prophecy, Gog, remember it said Gog, the land of Magog, it refers to a person, not a nation. Uh, this means high or supreme. Some scholars believe that this could be a title such as president, prime minister, pharaoh, something along those lines. So if I were to read this, the, well, actually, I'm, I'm sorry, let me just define what the, these countries are. Um, so we saw a couple of them, but all of the countries that are named are, are, are called Rosh, Magog, Meshach, and Tubal, Persia, Kush, Put, Gomer, and Togarma. Uh, the, Rosh is considered to be current-day Russia, and I'm not just throwing that out there. This has been researched, uh, you know, up, uh, umpteen times. There's a, it, there's a mutual general consensus that these are the countries that we're talking about. Magog, you would call what I'm calling the Stan countries, for those of you familiar with the former Soviet Union, the southern uh, end of it, which was Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and even perhaps Afghanistan. And everybody in the world is certainly familiar with the nation of Afghanistan. Uh, Meshach and Tubal is considered Moscow and Tobolsk. Uh, some believe that this could include uh, territories in modern Turkey, which is you know right alongside by uh, uh, Russia or the, you know, the former Soviet Union. Persia, I think most people recognize, is Iran. As a matter of fact, ma you know, many, if not most of the people in that country today, they consider themselves Persians, not Arabs. 
the Sudan is at modern, or a modern day Sudan would be considered Kush. Put is Libya. Uh, Gomer is an area of modern day Turkey. Can really define it more distinctly other than that. And Tilgarma is uh, uh, greatly in part the, the uh, nation of Turkey today. So with all those things in consideration, I want to go back to what I read in the beginning. Um, 38, 1 through 2. Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So if I were to read that in modern day um, uh, um, translations, what we just described, it would read something like this. Uh, Son of man, set your face against president so-and-so or prime minister so-and-so. Uh, or, 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 or um, you know, I don't want to say Pharaoh. It's not a modern Pharaoh. Um, so potentially, I'm not saying it is, but potentially it could be Vladimir Putin. Um, that would be an example of, of somebody who's, who has that position um, today and very closely aligned to that position. So set your face against President so-and-so in the land of Southern Russian stand countries, the Prince of Russia, Moscow, and Tobolsk. So that's how that would, that would read. Um, I'm going to jump to the lower right. Ezekiel 38 and 39 predicted Russia's return to power in the latter days. He describes an invasion of Israel by 10 entities. We describe them, including Russia and a coalition of mostly Islamic nations. Um, you know, most of the people would know that, you know, some of the nations that I, I've uh, well, actually, all of the nations that I, that I mentioned here is, is predominantly um, Islamic. And a lot of them have issues uh, based upon their religion with the, uh, the, the nation of Israel. So, you know, think about Iran, think about Libya, think about uh, the Sudan, uh, Turkey. You know, they get along with uh, um, Israel, but... It is a, a, a um, an Islamic nation, um, so they, uh, it 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 was predicted, uh, and this coalition of nations um, would be aligned. So what's interesting here is these nations are aligned. We can we know what they are today, and a lot of them don't have good relationships with the nation of Israel. And the, uh, the again, I'm going to go back to the third name mentioned in Scripture is Rosh which identifies the nation by the leader that will attack Israel. So there will be a leader amongst these 10 nations, a central figure, if you will, that will be out in front. Um, Rosh means Russia. Uh, This is according to phonetic studies of ancient words and biblical geographic descriptions. What's interesting about Ezekiel 5.5, it says, For Israel, I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. So, you know, there, there's other translations that says, I've, you know, she, I've set her amongst these nations who are her enemies. Um, and if you look at a map, and, and, you know, a lot of you know this, Israel, the size of New Jersey in, the, in, in America, very, very tiny nation, but surrounded by um, nations that, that want to remove her from the face of the earth. Um, in Ezekiel 38, 6 and 15, it states that the invading armies will come to Israel from the north. And you'll see that a lot in Scripture. Um, it'll say north, and if you look at Israel and Jerusalem in particular, if you go put a compass in the middle of the city of Jerusalem, it, it will point due north to the country of Russia or the uh, geographical landscape of all the different Russian states that we know today. 
So I just kind of want to set the stage for you, if you will. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a coalition of nations that will one day decide that they need to invade Israel. We're going to get into why would they do that? What are the benefits for it? Um, and, and again, we're going to pick apart what the scriptures have to say here. So let me, uh, let, let, let me keep going here. I'd like to, if you, if you don't mind, just give you a brief um, introduction to the prophet Ezekiel. Many people don't really know him or not familiar with him, even though he's one of the uh, most prolific prophets in the Bible. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I find him fascinating, uh, and, and I'm constantly just looking at it. And, 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 you know, as for a lot of people, Excuse me, they see things in Scripture that they didn't see the first time around, and they go, whoa, 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 I didn't miss that. So let me introduce you to him. Um, It means, may God strengthen. He was a Judean priest and a a prophet. He was taken into exile by the Babylonians in 597 B.C. For those of you who may not be familiar, uh, the Babylonian Empire conquered Israel, and they took, on several different uh, ventures, took many different uh, Hebrews, and captured them and brought them back into the uh, uh, Mesopotamia area, into uh, Babylon. This was part of the Babylonian Empire. A side note, he was there at the time of Daniel. There's nothing to suggest that they knew each other. Uh, He was in a different location. Daniel was uh, um, serving in, in the king's court. So he was the son of a Zadok priest named Buzi, uh, he expresses familiar, familiarity with the Jer- Jerusalem temple. Um, his ministry is character- characterized by ecstatic visions, some pretty dramatic stuff. Uh, there's graphic decisions, uh, descriptions, I'm sorry, of Israel's sin uh, and a message of divine judgment and restoration. There's 48 chapters of Ezekiel's prophecies. And if you could, you know, you know, I'd, I'd highly recommend getting into it or, you know, piece by piece. But it's divided into two sections, um, which is kind of typical for a lot of the prophets. They, it's, it's divided into uh, judgment and then consolation. So chapters 1 through 32 is judgment, consolation, 33 through 48. Some of these visions uh, represent watershed moments in, into God's dealings with his chosen people. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, and, and you know, perhaps some of you are familiar with it. Um, Ezekiel was called to be a watchman. Uh, this is in chapter 3, verse 17, 33, 19. Uh, he called him to be a watchman of Israel. His job was to warn the people of impending danger. And we see that a lot today with people who are called or believe they're called by the Lord to be watchmen. Uh, to you know, alert you to the situations of what's going on and what may be coming around the corner. Um, an, another uh, big area with him is he talks about and he writes a lot about the glory of God entering, leaving, and ultimately returning to the temple when we get into the millennial kingdom, and that would be covered in chapters 10 and 43. Uh, probably his most famous uh, vision is the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, I, I, this is probably uh, the most remarkable vision in, in the Bible. Ezekiel actually witnessed the resurrection of Israel and what's called the knitting together of millions of skeletal bones into living beings 
who would return to their homeland and resume uh, their relationship with, with Yahweh. This is outlined in uh, Ezekiel 37. If you're with me on, um, on video, I just wanted to very briefly mention this because it really does, it ties a lot into what's happening um, and so important uh, uh, as we see here, as we look at the nation of Israel today. So, uh, 37, four through six. Then he said to me, this is Ezekiel speaking, prophesy, um, Ezekiel describing what, what the Lord is telling him. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life and I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord. I, I, I am the Lord. So we can generally uh, interpret that as seeing the nation of Israel being resurrected. Um, just about all Hebrews believe that this was a description of what was going on in, in the Holocaust and that uh, the, these bones came to life, meaning the nation was dramatically, and I would say miraculously restored. But when he says he's breathing into him, that's really the, the Hebrew word bachuth. I'm not sure I'm just butchered that translation or enunciation. Um, but uh, what it means is really breathing into you spiritually. And you know, I think most people would recognize in terms of their relationship with Jesus, they are not yet there. Um, there are certainly uh, uh, many, many Jewish believers in Jesus, but obviously the overwhelming majority do not. But anyway, that's, that's a very, very dramatic and important vision that he gave them, and that's something that we can look at that happened, that came to pass in 1948. He said the nation of Israel would be, be scattered to the nations, and they would be dramatically returned. I will call them to their homeland. We're seeing that. We've covered a lot of this in the past, but this is a very specific prophecy that points to that moment, and I believe points to the moment when they will re recognize Jesus as, as the Messiah. Then there's the war of Gog of, and, and Magog. Uh, we're going to talk. That's what we're obviously talking about. Um, another uh, watershed moment uh, was Israel's shepherd. And then finally, the new covenant. And, I, you know, some people may say, well, I thought this was the Old Testament. Well, it is. But uh, let me just pass something along that, that really is interesting. Jeremiah first introduced the coming new covenant. He saw this. But he, Ezekiel added a revelation that only made sense when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. It could not have made sense prior to Pentecost. He said, I will put my spirit in you to follow my decrees. And you can see this in 3627 and then the actual translation of it happening in the birth of the New Testament, which is Acts 238 and 39. This was revolutionary because in Ezekiel's day, the Holy Spirit was given only temporarily for tasks. It was never permanent as, as we have it today. So that's a brief introduction to the prophet Ezekiel. I thought a little bit of background might help um, um, for where we're going anyway. Um, so we're talking about the War of Gog of Magog, and he's going to be talking about uh, a few other things to come. But I wanted to just very briefly say that there's four major wars outlined uh, for what is to come. And there is the War of Gog of Magog, what we're going to be talking about. It's the War of the Latter Days. And when, you know, talking about the Latter Days, as it is in the Old Testament, 
it's generally uh, you know considered drawing near to the time uh, of, of the return of Jesus. Then there's the wars of the Antichrist. That would be following, that would be during the tribulation. This will be uh, numerous wars. Uh, this is outlined, we covered this in Daniel chapter 11 when we talked about Daniel earlier. Um, it details the northern part of Africa, which is Libya, Ethiopia, and Egypt. They're overtaken by the Antichrist or the beast or Satan and his armies during the tribulation. Half of the city of Jerusalem is seized. We're talking about the midpoint of the tribulation, um, along with Lebanon, Damascus, Syria. Right around this time, um, it, 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 Damascus is, is destroyed. Most Many people, I should say, there, there's a prophecy in there about the, uh, uh, the destruction of the city of uh, Damascus. And sadly, we see a lot of that happening today. But that's not the culmination of this, this prophecy that we're talking about. Then there's the war that everybody else, everybody knows about. It's called Armageddon. Uh, it's also uh, called uh, the, bat, the Battle of Jezreel in the Old Testament. But I'm showing a couple of pictures here. I find this fascinating. I, I was fortunate enough to be here sitting on a mountaintop, and I'm showing you this valley. It is a 200-square-mile valley. And as, as soon as I'm kind of sitting on this little small mountain cliff looking down um and 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 what you see and i'm looking at this going boy i can see this you know because remember we're talking about the 200 million man army coming in revelation when this does happen and this will be the the battlefield where this ultimately happens and uh you know if, if you're looking at it you go yeah I, I i can envision this i can see that uh, happening there so we're looking at the the mountains of jordan from this uh um venture point but this is this is pretty pretty spectacular um, so then after that, there's also, and the reason I wanted to get into this too, it's another war of Gog of Magog, and it happens near the end of the millennium. Um, this is where Satan is released from the abyss. Remember, it says that Satan is put into the abyss for a thousand years, and he's released shortly. doesn't get into much detail. Um, but he does say that he stirs up the armies of Gog and Magog. And once again attacks Israel. Um, and this is before he's finally destroyed at the end of the millennium, and then we enter into eternity. So those are the four great wars that are to come. Gog of Magog of the latter days, and this is why I wanted to get into this, because this is the next great war. Then we have the wars that will be happening during the tribulation, the final war, the battle of Armageddon at the end of tribulation. Then there's another one, at the end of the millennium. This is all of what the Bible has to describe. So, I wanted to cover some things when I said we're going to be looking at some things of, um, of, of modern-day um, uh, politics, if you will. And I want to cover the Six-Day War here. And why? Because there's territories that were captured that must be in place for the Israelis uh, be, before this is to happen. So you have this miraculous six-day war where uh, Israel was surrounded by uh, all of her neighbors and miraculously in six days, six days, I'm sorry, not only defeated the, all of them, um, they, they captured a great deal of territory. Uh, the, and I have the maps showing you before and after. But what's so very important here is they captured the city of East Jerusalem, so now, they, they, now Jerusalem is theirs, and they captured the Golan Heights. Why is this important in comparison to 
the War of Gog of Magog, because Israel must be in possession of these territories in order for these things to happen. So, in other words, it, it strictly shows you that Israel owns or owns is, is, is that's part of their their territory, the Golan Heights, and all of Jerusalem. Prior to 1967, the the War of Gog of Magog could not have happened if it was going to line up with Scripture. So this is why I wanted to bring this up. Um, and just very briefly, I show you here uh, the Arab armies, 500,000 to Israel, 75,000. Uh, 5,000 tanks to 1,000 tanks. 900 aircraft to Israel's 175 planes. Uh, but yet, again, through the hand of God. So I show you some, some clippings here, the map. There's uh, the Minister of Defense, Moshe Dayan, uh, with with the uh, eye patch, and then um, Israeli soldiers uh, standing on the Temple Mount, and then um, a, a headline that the war ends, total Israel victory. So very, very important. This could not have happened, uh, the war that we're going to talk about, unless uh, uh, Israel had these territories. So on that note, I, I wanted to very briefly mention the Golan Heights. Uh, why, why do I want to talk about the Golan Heights again? Because this was the prime uh, real estate that w people were going after. Um, th they desperately, desperately wanted to um, capture this territory again. So this was uh, Syria uh, going up against uh, um, the Israeli army in the north. And then Egypt was simultaneously attacking in the south led by Anwar Sadat. And interestingly enough, um, in 1973, the, uh, uh, the armies that were led by the Syrians was under uh, Hafez al-Assad. And his son today is Bashar al-Assad. And he too is still trying to get the Golan Heights. So, you know, it's, it's passed down. But Again, what they did was they attacked on Yom Kippur because all of the uh, Israelis were celebrating their holiday. So they tried to catch them unsuspectingly. Um, this led to uh, the the peace accords with Jimmy Carter and Menachem Begin and uh, Anwar Sadat, who was the president of Egypt at the time. Uh, and they, for the first time ever, they they forged a a peace treaty. And this really had a lot to do with the peace that. Um, uh, the, the nation of Jordan has today uh, with, with, the, um, uh, uh, with, with the nation of Israel. So I, I, I wanted to cover that because all of these things need to be in place before we can actually get into uh, uh, our, our next area. So again, and, and I side note, um, Anwar Sadat was unfortunately assassinated um, because they did not want to see him make him, making peace but in that peace, he was able uh, to get that piece of the Sinai Peninsula again, uh, which which they had lost in the 1967 Six Day War, and you know they have a relative peace today. I will say that um, Egypt and Jordan today, I know uh, that they are sharing a lot of security intelligence, as is some of the. Uh, Gulf states. So this has become very important. You know, are they perfect neighbors? No. Um, but they, there is a, a peace and a stability uh, that has come between Egypt and Israel and Jordan. And now you see some of the 
uh, Gulf states joining in with the signing of the Abraham Accord. Uh, so these these are some developments. But my my point here is the Golan Heights has to be in control in order for the War of Gog of Magog to take place. So that's what I'm showing you here. Um, and I'm also showing you the, the president, uh, well, actually the prime minister of Israel back then, Golda Meir, with her troops. She was a very, very wise and courageous woman and leader uh, for the nation of Israel at this time. So there you have it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here. What we're going to be doing next is I'm going to fast forward to uh, right after the, the assassination of Anwar Sadat. I'm going to bring you into uh, some very interesting characters that everybody is familiar with. Uh, and it, it really, it's, it's the birth of the Iranian Revolution in 1979. There are dramatic events that took place that needed to happen that bring us to where we are today and in perfect position for what the War of Gog of Magog uh, can, can take place. So thank you again. I'm so glad that you were here with us. I hope you found this thought-provoking, uh, informative, and you know I, I, I'm just always fascinated watching the Word of God come alive right in front of us that we can look around and see things. We're, we're, we've witnessed some things that have happened in modern times, happened in my lifetime, that needed to happen in order for these prophecies to come to pass. We're going to continue on that note when we come back uh, in our next broadcast following, we're going to pick up with the Iranian Revolution and the Ayatollah Khomeini, and also how what a role that Anwar, not Anwar Sadat, um, I'm sorry, Haddam Hussein. Uh, uh, I'll get it right. These names are a little bit of a tongue twister for me, so hopefully you can forgive me if you will. But anyway, uh, thank you again. If there's any questions, comments, please feel free to. Uh, uh, look me up, uh, email at russicoutlook at gmail.com. Uh, any prayer requests, any, any questions or comments, they're always welcome. Again, you've been listening to the Russic Outlook. I'd like to thank you. And as always, just my opinion.